Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. What a day, breaking news. You thought yesterday was busy. Today is shaping up to be even crazier, busier on the news front. The United States Supreme Court, just a few minutes ago, you know what they did? They upheld the Arizona election integrity laws that were passed a couple of years ago that outlawed ballot harvesting and said, if you show up and try to vote in the wrong precinct, your vote won't be counted. Those are two just common sense laws. Democrats called it Jim Crow. They called it racist, discriminatory. And guess what? The Supreme Court, by a 6-3 ruling, all six conservative justice against, all three Democrat-appointed uh, uh, Democrat justices against, concluded that there was no racism involved, that racism wasn't the issue, that these were just an effort to try to create integrity, a good faith effort to create integrity. Supreme Court rules. It should have a message far beyond these Arizona laws. We were talking yesterday about Georgia and the lawsuit that the Biden DOJ has filed. We're going to ask somebody very soon about this very issue. Congressman Andy Biggs from the state of Arizona. We planned it today. See, we just do the Supreme Court and we, we, and we had Congressman Biggs on. Actually, we didn't plan it. It just happened perfectly. Um, Congressman Andy Biggs is here. We're going to ask him, what message does this send to the Democratic attacks on election integrity laws across the country? We're going to uh, zero in on that, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Very, very big news uh, on the front. Also big news, uh, Congressman Benny Thompson, the state of Mississippi, Democrat. He has been named the chairman of the January 6th riot investigation. Uh, we're going to uh, get some reaction from Congressman Biggs on that. And we're going to do a twofer today for good reason. We've got a second great guest. Nicole Egan is going to join us. She's the journalist who covered the Cosby case from start to finish. We're going to ask her, how did it end up? How did this Supreme Court ruling yesterday in Pennsylvania, which uh, freed Bill Cosby from prison, reversed his conviction? How did it happen? How did prosecutors make such a big blunder? What should we learn from it? A lot of reaction today. Bill Cosby's former uh, wife on television, uh, Felicia Rashad in the Cosby show said that it was justice long overdue. We're going to ask, uh, our, this great reporter about that and many other issues. Busy day. So I don't want to uh, take too much time. I want to get to two amazing guests. So we're going to go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Congressman Andy Biggs from the great state of Arizona. 
We got a lot of news to talk about, including the Supreme Court decision, critical race theory, China, the Republican agenda for 2022, Capitol Hill investigation, the riot, Capitol riots investigation. We're going to cover it all with Congressman Biggs right after this commercial break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, uh, somebody we've had on this show many times. We're so grateful. Congressman Andy Biggs from the great state of Arizona is joining us. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, John, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. By the way, thanks for all the work you do. I Thank really appreciate you. it. Oh, I mean, I, I love it. I love what I do. I, I, I'd do it for free if I could. It's that much fun. <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell that to my company, but that's it. Yeah. Um, we couldn't have picked a better day to have you on because just moments ago, the Supreme Court released its ruling upholding Arizona's election laws uh, that were passed a couple of years ago. And I want to see if I can get your reaction right away. There were a lot of demagoguery going on in Arizona that this was Jim Crow and, and, and disenfranchising reporters and a Supreme Court was pretty clear that these laws are pretty straightforward, constitutional, not racially motivated. What's your take? Well, I, I can't wait to read the opinion. I've, I've uh, seen, seen the pieces on it, and uh, I will tell you that the Arizona delegation on the floor, was we were talking about it. We're, we're pretty happy. This has been, uh, this is really important because what we're getting at, John, is, is at least two provisions of Arizona's law to try to, to maintain election integrity. Uh, one of one is ballot harvesting. So that's a huge problem in states that have ballot harvesting. Right. And, and for people who don't know what that is, that's that's where you take somebody who's who's basically they could be working for a campaign, they could be working for a special interest group, uh, anybody really. They can go out and and in Arizona, what we found is that they were not only gathering somebody's ballot and and then taking it in um, for them and voting for them. They were actually, in many cases, helping fill it out. Wow! And so, and they would wear shirts. In at least in one election, um, they were wearing shirts that gave people uh, the impression that they were from the election department because they would say "election worker" on their polo shirt as they would go door to door. And so, w- the legislature in Arizona passed uh, a law saying no ballot harvesting, and we actually had. Um, the voters also uh, supported that. So, so we had this, this thing going on, no ballot harvesting, and, and now it's been upheld by the Supreme Court, and we think that's really important. And you're right, they've tried to make it uh, a, a racial issue and what have you, but it, it really wasn't. It was just in voter integrity, election integrity. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And then there was a second law that also got to help, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. Um, and, and, the, and then the second law, it was, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, yeah. but, but, but it's a provisional ballot type thing. So what happens right. is it, we, we passed a law saying you have to vote in the correct precinct. I mean, because what happens, you've got poll workers in the precinct. They come to know the, the, the electors and the electors come to know the poll workers. 
and, and sometimes relationships are there, and it helps to guard against fraud. But we had people that were taking ballots to wrong precincts, um, or they would show up at, the, at a different precinct, and they'd say, oh, and they'd say, you're not on our precinct roll, and they would let them vote there. Right. Um, and we passed a law saying, no, you can't vote there. You, you have to vote in your assigned precinct. And um, that also helps with election integrity. And that was upheld. And so it's very, it's very positive that, uh, that that was upheld today. Yeah, it really sends a message, too. Obviously, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland has just sued Georgia, saying similar type restrictions in Georgia are Jim Crow. And I think the court was very clear today that you know, legislatures really do get to set the rules for their uh, their their voting. And long as the intent isn't to, to knock out a racial minority or to discriminate, uh, the court's going to look pretty favorably on reasonable integrity measures. Uh, do you think the Biden Justice Department gets a message from this ruling today? I hope they do, because if they continue the path they're going on with Georgia, they're going to end up before the same court. And, John, look, in this particular case, the Secretary of State of Arizona, who is a Democrat, refused to defend these statutes. It's amazing. Yeah, and she said that the lower court overthrowing those statutes, that 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 decision should be upheld. So I think it's really powerful that, that... that you had this person, the Secretary of State, taking that position, and yet at the same time, the Supreme Court came down with what we thought would be, when, when President Trump appointed these three, we thought that would begin to be the natural split, right, right. on the conservatives. We thought it would be 6 3 five, four mostly, and it hasn't proven to be the case. But in this issue, I think it sends a strong signal to the states um, uh, with regard to con- uh, controlling election integrity, with certainly with, with regard to things like ballot harvesting and and uh, proper identification at polling places. Yeah, there's a consequence for Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, because she wants to run for governor next year, and she just got repudiated by the Supreme Court by uh, the position she took was the wrong position, according to the court. And so uh, there's going to be some electoral fallout, I think, in the 2022 election uh, with that as well. Um as you look out now, and we, we've gone through a six-month period from November 2020 to now, there's a lot of states making changes. Lawmakers, state legislators are really taking this uh, integrity issue seriously and tightening up the ship for things that happened during COVID. And Democrats have kind of continued with the demagoguery that anything that tries to add an election integrity is somehow racist. Do you think that argument is starting to fall apart, not just in the court? Now, the court clearly made a, a, a clear ruling and statement today, but the American public seems to be behind. When you look at the polling data, they're behind most of these integrity measures, and Democrats seem to be on the wrong side. Do you think the, the Democrats pick up on that sensum, or do they continue to go down the path of, of going against the, the majority will of Americans? Um, I think for now they're going to keep trying to ride this pony because, I mean, you know, they've got— the HR one is dead, right? So, right. so now they want to do HR four, which is the John Lewis bill, and so I think they're going to try to 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 attack it in that way. But for them, it's still going to always be about race. And and John, it really, the American people are are much smarter than they that. Are. They 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 know that 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 accusation now is meaningless because you you can't say everything is about race. That's why critical race theory is so offensive to most Americans. And so, it, and, and so I see that you're going to have a, a cadre, a, a section of the Democrats, and cadre is probably the right term to use yeah, right. Uh, these days, but you're going to have a cadre of Democrats 
they're going to continue to try to push that, but it will not be enough, I, do, I, I don't believe, to because uh, I, I think the American public are going to say, look, we want election integrity, and, and you, you don't get that by federalizing and nationalizing elections. And the way to think of it is I, I, most people don't think that the national government can solve problems, that we cause more problems than we solve. And so I think they're going to walk into that trap as well. It's absolutely fascinating to watch the dynamic because you're right. It seems as though the Democrats are marching right into the face of the will of the American people on many issues. And and you just mentioned CRT, and I want to turn to that because uh, we had uh, Elise Stefanik on the show, uh, and a lot of the people we're talking to in recent weeks think that the CRT officials, uh, CRT movement is literally creating an extraordinary electoral backlash, that people are getting involved at their school boards in ways they haven't in many years, and that this will bubble all the way up in the 2022 election. Do you think it's that big an issue and that Republicans by standing on the side of parents and children and, and patriotic education, get a, a leg up in this election from that issue? I think so, John. I, I tell you why. It, 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 you have an awakening of people who are rejecting the woke uh, CRT. I yeah. mean, that's really what you're, what's happening. And we're seeing it. I mean, Loudoun County, Virginia, that was a remarkable it meeting. Was. That, yeah, that was something. It was. And they got, they got national media. But it isn't just there. I know, I know down in Tucson, uh, outside of Tucson, uh, that uh, parents showed up and the school board uh, mischaracterized that as well. And that's where, that's where these videos are coming in handy because the, you get the school board saying, well, they're, they're carrying guns and they're threatening us, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. What's happening is they're showing up and they're trying to make cogent arguments, but the board is trying to shut them down. And, and I think what you're seeing is the grassroots of Americans, the the uh, the what I would call more moderate Democrats or the old style Democrats that the, the few of those that are still left that, right. that wedge between Republicans and Democrats, the independents and party non-declared. And then the, the the more moderate Republicans are realizing uh, what's been going on, the indoctrination and that is anti-American, anti uh, it's, it's against who we are as an American people. And I believe that the Democrats, like they do on all of this left-wing stuff, are going to overplay their hand. And so when we see when we see the Loudoun County people, or the or the uh, guy, I'm trying to get a hold of this guy. Um, I think in Chicago, um, who who uh, who who spoke up, and they've been going after him. Yeah. At, you, you cannot silence the ma- majority of the populace, and the majority right now is outraged at CRT. Yeah, it really is. And what's becoming, you know, it's funny when we started the Russia collusion investigation and kind of unravel that you in Congress and, and myself and Sarah and people like that in the reporting world, you know, we started to talk about the power of bureaucrats and one of the, and, you know, it became really evident in the FBI where they could literally tell the court a false thing and try to get away with it, uh, mislead the American public for two or three years. But the same power of bureaucrats comes all the way down the system down, and you see it at the school boards where school boards and school uh, principals are trying to tell parents, we know better than you what your child needs to learn. And uh, when, 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 you, when I hear people talk about this, there's a real fundamental difference, it seems like, between uh, conservatives who believe that students should be taught uh, how to think and, uh, and, what, uh, and Democrats who think they need to teach students what to think does that does that become a fundamental issue in, in reinvigorating things like school choice and taking back school boards? Do you think that difference is starting to play out? 
I do. I do because, um, you know, this is one of the blessings of COVID because parents got involved, saw their kids, what yeah. they were learning, and they said, oh, this is a disaster. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that will recharge the school choice movement uh, on a nationwide basis. But, you know, the, the left, there's so much in the pockets of, of the teachers' unions yeah. that they don't, they don't want parents to have choice uh, in education. They really don't. And I've actually had uh, teachers union officials back when I was in the state legislature tell me that that they they know better how to how to teach kids than than parents know what's better for their kids and, you know what's best for their kids. That's a problem. That's a problem. I know what I want my kids to learn, and it isn't um, a, a woke generation. And, and I think most parents um, who are attentive are. Um, are really concerned, and I think they're going to look for an option, John. So I think you're right. I think I think the option is school choice. That's the best option, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. I'm I'm very curious, and I'm watching that very closely. It is a remarkable uh, moment in American history to see this, and um, the uh, you have always been a voice of fiscal sanity, and in, in a town that often doesn't seem to care much about uh, fiscal discipline at all. Um, you look at the infrastructure plan, the bipartisan deal, uh, the continued deficit spending, and the, the overall size of our debt now. Uh, where where do you think Republicans will end up on the infrastructure plan? Do they try to create a deal with Joe Biden, or are they so concerned about spending that they they uh, reject it? Well, I'll tell you, uh, that's a great question. I, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be sitting in the Senate. I think a lot of them, I, I think that there's going to be five to eight senators probably that are going to try to cut a deal. I mean, we've already seen that, right? Sure. And they they don't have any um, compunction against spending us into oblivion. And the reality is, uh, you're looking at, um, by the time Joe Biden gets added back in what he wants and Pelosi does, and you go through the process here of conference committees, et cetera, you're going to be pushing again around a trillion dollars. It's amazing. Yeah, and quite frankly, uh, you're also going to get the new Green New Deal. I mean, this the bill out of the House uh, this, that we've, we've done this week, that is basically uh, half the spending there is on Green New Deal projects and in implementation of Green New Deal. And, and so I'm hoping that, that these guys in the Senate stop it. I mean, that's, that's always my hope right now is that, the, that there's uh, strength in the Senate that will stop it. But... Uh, They'll try. You know how this works on on transportation. They will try to buy off with projects. Yeah, the old earmarks. <laughs> the old earmarks. The old earmarks. They're back, John. They're back. They're alive again. <laughs> They're alive. You know, it's it's like a a scary Netflix movie or something. I mean, they just keep coming back. But uh, it, it, that's the fight. That's the fight. I mean, this year, I would anticipate that we're gonna if if the Democrat spending looks anything like I think it is. We're going to be pushing two and a half to three trillion dollars in structural deficit alone. Structural deficit alone. Oh my gosh. That's not national debt. That's that's yeah. just that's going to be added to our national debt, and we're going to spend that much over what we bring in in revenue, and that's uh, that's very very concerning to me. And there's, I, I'm I'm counting on my friends Rand and Ted and Mike and and Ron and and all the other great senators that we have to to really try to stop that but uh, there's going to be some that buy into it 
you had an amazing op-ed uh, in the last 24 hours in the Washington Examiner. And to me, I thought it laid out the, the really the differences between conservatives and liberals right now, because they're very stark. And one of the things that you talked about is how the very quick and, and sort of untargeted spending of the Biden administration has created you know, the inflation tax and this unbelievable uh, amount of growth in, in the uh, prices that are really taking a, a bite out of the wallet. Do you think that Republicans are going to be able to offer a cohesive plan? It doesn't have to be a contract with America, but where do you think the Republican agenda of 2022, what, what will be the leading edge ideas of that, of that um, agenda? Well, that's great. I, I'll tell you that, that uh, I, I work constantly on what I think will, will be important. And I think uh, the jobs in the economy will be important. And, that, and the economy will feature, of course, inflation. I mean, you've seen the gas prices for Fourth of July weekend. Uh, I yeah. was watching a show on that this morning. I've got to get gas this weekend, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have got gas uh, earlier this week. But yep. the point is, Americans feel that they feel it at the gas pump. It's the most visible way to gauge inflation. What they what they they will they will feel this. They won't, may not recognize this, but uh, they, they will quickly become cognizant because they're very smart, and, yep. and they'll say. My, my food prices have gone up. Everything has gone up. It costs more to go out to eat. It costs more for entertainment. It costs more just to live. And what drives that is the, the price of gas. Um, and so there's two things driving the price of gas, of course, and that's, that's the devaluation of our currency along with the uh, removal of us as uh, basically energy independent. So I think jobs and, and the economy will be incredibly important. I think uh, in the indoctrination of our children, the, uh, the CRT stuff is going to be really, really important. Um, I think um, uh, the the border issue is going to be yeah. important. Yeah, President Trump at the like, border yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Warm welcome is, you got there. That's right. It, it, it's, so I need to take you down with me sometime, John. I get down often. And I'll take you down with me. I would love that. I, I have so many good friends in the Border Patrol. We have them on the show often. And those guys are America's heroes, the guys and gals of the Border Patrol. And they get denigrated all day. But what amazing people they are. The rescues they do, the work they do. Uh, they make me smile every time I meet them. And I'll take you up on that offer going down there. Yeah, it's it's. They're a great group, a great group of men and women. They're, they're, they sacrifice, and uh, you know what? They're called racist, yeah. but these people, these people are not racist. Uh, you know, the majority of them, quite frankly, are uh, Hispanic, probably, and it's, yeah. a, it's an amazing group of men and women uh, sacrificing for this country. And, and I really believe that this, this, the, the failure of the Biden policy, and the Biden policy is simply this: open the borders by erasing all of the Trump successful policies. Yeah. That's, that's their policy. And, and this is deliberate. And so I think people see that, and, and that'll be important. I think and another one that's a top five issue that, that uh, when I go out and talk to people uh, all over the country, it's the restoration of election integrity. Oh, yeah. You know, you know John, it, this, it doesn't matter what your demographic is. They, they, the people want... Uh, they want voter ID. They want identification at the polls. If you go in person, if you're doing some kind of mail-in, they want some kind of identification, some kind of consistent verification on that. They want. They don't. They don't want ballot harvesting, uh, actually. Uh, and believe it or not, you've got communities uh, from the left here that want non-citizens to vote. Yeah. And absolutely. 
They've yes, been pushing it every day. Enough, yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, you only maybe eighty-eight percent of Americans, something like that, want you to have to be a U.S. citizen to vote. Mercy. We, we, that should be 100%. I can't believe it's not 100%. But anyway, that's a big issue that's going to divide the parties because the other side is content with uh, non-U.S. citizens. So those are just a few things. I think, uh, you know, make America safe again. How about that? Yeah. How about, how about this defund police movement? That is really dividing the country. And uh, uh, that, that's important. I think, I think the, the recent move to, to sanctuary laws that they've been doing, uh, that they just basically just did the cut of federal funding to try to John they want to they want to take away um, uh, uh, basically qualified immunity uh, yeah, from our officers. Yeah. officers. Uh, that's a, that's weird. And so you're seeing a spike in in uh, in uh, crime. And you know we know we're winning on this because they're they're lying saying it's the Republicans that want to defund. Can you them. believe that argument? Yeah. Uh, we had a big story saying it's a funny thing because after the bill passed and all the money went to blue cities, blue cities like Oakland cut the funding anyways. So it, it was the Democrats cutting the funding. You could literally debunk the argument and Americans are so smart. They see through it, I think. Don't you? Yeah, I do. I do yeah. think so. I mean, they're like, that doesn't even make sense. No, no. Because it's because they've been saying this for over a year. That's right. And oddly enough, literally a couple of days before they decided to change their narrative, you had Rashida Tlaib back on there talking about reallocating uh, resources away from That's uh, right. incarceration and police and moving it over to social welfare programs. Yeah. They're too, they're too smart. Yeah. And, they see right and, through it. Yeah. And so, so, John, when we talk about platform issues, I've just kind of given you, I think, five. Yeah, of them. those are five big ones. Yeah. And I think that they, they really mark a difference. Um, I mean, don't forget the, 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 the participation in, in endless wars. Yeah. Um, and what's happened, so what happens is basically um, Biden basically is his policies have fueled basically a shooting war with Iran right now. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're in danger of, of that, that uh, accelerating. Uh, I hope it doesn't. China's a big issue. Um, uh, what's, and Biden's been weak on that. So there's a, there's enough issues out there uh, floating around that I think that we can, um, basically um, mark the line of, of distinction between the oh, left. Yes. Well, your column did that. The, you know, the Washington Examiner column really drew it out today. I, I looked at it and said, there, there's an agenda, right, that you can see the differences between the two parties and in what you wrote about. I know you got to get back. I have one quick ask, a quick re uh, reaction. So we just found out that Nancy Pelosi has named Rep. Benny Thompson to be the chair of the Capitol, uh, the January 6th riot investigation. Any reaction to, one, one, the commission, or two, the choice of the chairman? Well, um, that Benny's the chair doesn't surprise me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's been driving to be there. Uh, I, I would hope that Repu Republicans just simply don't participate. This is a this isn't an investigation. This is a witch hunt. And listening to the Democrats who were speaking on the floor yesterday in favor of this bill, I think anybody listening to that would understand very clearly. Oh, yeah. That this is not something we want to get after the truth. This is. This gets to, to what you and I have been talking about, the failure of Democrat policies. I think this is a distraction move themselves. I mean, if I thought it was going to be uh, uh, a fair thing, then I would have supported it. Look, right. look, look what, what, what I think would be most helpful is to release the videotapes 
from the cameras around the Capitol. Yeah, the stuff that Ron Johnson has been talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah. I want to see those. And, and um, you know, Ron's, Ron himself, uh, he can't take notes. They have to sit in a skiff. They can only look at it for an hour at a time or something like that. Crazy. There's all these parameters placed on them. Yep. And, uh, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. No, it really doesn't. Well, hopefully over time, the American public will demand more transparency. We'll, we'll get to that. Sir, it is always an honor to have you on the show. I always feel like I learned so much and, and uh, I could go on forever, but uh, we'll try to get you back on soon. And I want to wish you a, a very happy Independence Day and thank you for your all the things you do for our great country. Hey, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Uh, let's do it again soon. Have a happy fourth. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. You too. All righty, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got a journalist who covered the Cosby case from start to finish. You do not want to miss this interview. Pretty interesting sentiments and a lot of background on how a prosecutor got beaten down by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court for making the wrong decision in the Cosby case. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But first, let's hear from our great sponsors and advertisers, the people who make this show and justthenews.com possible every day. We'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. And when I say this reporter wrote the book on the Cosby case, she wrote the book on the Cosby case, the best piece of journalism I've seen done on the Bill Cosby case uh, in, in all the time we've, it's been going on. Chasing Cosby is the name of the book, The Downfall of America's Dad. And the author and great journalist is Nicole Egan. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a real honor. I want to start by getting your reaction to yesterday's Supreme Court ruling. Uh, you know, where do you see culpability lie ultimately in having such a, a, a major conviction reversed? Uh, uh, and who are the ultimate losers in your mind? I was pretty stunned by the whole thing because while I'd watched the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court oral arguments in December um, and, and the, the, the hostility they showed toward the prosecution and the right. utter contempt they showed for the prosecution pretty much convinced me they were going to rule in Cosby's favor. I did not expect it to be on this issue. Um, there yeah. were two issues before them. There was the fact that these other women, um, other accusers were allowed to testify, five of them, and then this issue about whether this press release was an immunity agreement. Right. And, um, so I expected them, if they were going to overturn it, that there would be a new trial and it would be on the issue of the other accusers because the press release being an immunity agreement is absurd. It is just, I got that press release in 2005. It was a press release. It wasn't yeah. until 10 years later after this case re-exploded again that Bruce Castor began saying it was also an immunity agreement. Right. Um, and so there was a lot of testimony in court about that. But this to me just shows, again, power, privilege, and wealth and how much it uh, can get, you know, can get justice for certain people, but not for others, because this is a mind-boggling decision that has no basis in law. 
and for them to then you know, order his release immediately and bar him from being tried a third time is extraordinary. That is just a very rare occurrence. Yeah, so, no, it I is rare feel, for the courts. Yeah. yeah, I really feel like this is, you know, there's more to this story than we know. And um, Cosby's spokesman, Andrew Wyatt, has been making comments throughout the last several months. He seemed very confident they were going to win yeah. it. Yeah, he did. Kind of know their timetable. Um, so I, I just think that, you know, it's just a shocking uh, case. It was, it's a miscarriage of justice. It's going to be really fascinating. And, you know, it's weird yesterday to see the uh, opinion diverge. I mean, this is a very divided issue in America. There are a lot of people that were praising the decision. Uh, Felicia Rashad, his on-air wife, you know, in the Cosby show, calling it long overdue justice. And then other people saying this is a travesty of justice, like yourself. Um, how did we get to a point in this country where cases like this have become so polarized? I mean, normally the facts are the facts, and we know what the facts are, right? By Cosby's own admission, he acknowledged he was drugging women. He would claim it's consensual, but, you know, uh, the facts are there. Um, how did these things become so political football-like in, in, in America? Well, first of all, Bill Cosby is a master, and his team are a master in making everything political and make everything um, trying to make it about race. And I, and I addressed that in the book. Um, first of all, he was not exonerated. Right. <laughs> he was released on a technicality. Yeah, so let's get right. that clear. Yeah, people fact people are clear in that, I think. I think they do understand yeah. that. Yeah. No, well, I know, but he's out there crowing that right. No, you're right. innocent. Yep. So I just want to make sure people understand he was not exonerated. Um, I think that he has done his best to make this a race issue. And, you know, Kristen Fedden, who's a black prosecutor who helped prosecute him, uh, talked about that this morning on the Today Show. I mean, it's just an outrage. Um, yeah. He had seven of the h- highest paid criminal defense attorneys I've known representing him at the second trial. I don't know many black or defendants that can afford that. And I certainly don't think that um, many of them could would get their conviction overturned like this and then be released immediately. This just reeks of special treatment. And um, it's a shame that he's making it about race because there are many, many injustices in the criminal justice system when yeah. it comes to race. But oh, sure. this is not one of them. Yeah, and that's right. He, listen, he has $400 million at his disposal. He can he can defend himself. There's right. no doubt. He had, yeah. se- he had seven yeah. crim- criminal attorneys at his second yeah. trial. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He had the best defense money can buy, and, you know, it worked. He got out. Yeah. It's interesting in talking to some prosecutors today, because I, I nosed around at both the federal and state level, uh, just prosecutors who've been in this. I said, you know, what do you take of this? And he's like, if you ever start talking about non-prosecution, you better put it on paper right away. It better be really clear because this sends a message that, you know, any verbal statement could be construed as an immunity deal. And that's not what we that what we want going forward as the standard. So it's interesting that in the prosecution world, there was an instant reaction to this, like, oh, my God, we got to document anything. We can't even say the word not prosecute if it isn't in paper now because it's going to suggest that, you know, even a verbal statement could be construed this way. So it's interesting to look at how prosecutors are, uh, are reevaluating after, after this, um, this claim. And it's going to be fascinating to, to watch the fallout. What's the most important thing you learned in all of your good work with, uh, in not only writing Chasing Cosby, but the day-to-day journalism you did? What's the real storyline of Bill Cosby in your mind? Well, first of all, I want to point out that, um, this is an alleged deal. There was that's no right. Yeah. Of this, there was that there was this deal in 2005. Yeah, that's right. First assess, assistant, Risa Furman, said she never heard of this back in 2005. Right. She was the she was the DA in 2015 who reopened this case. That's right. And Castor began sending her emails. Don't you remember, Risa? I told you about this, and she'd send back no. There, yeah. there was no such deal. He um, and also in Pennsylvania, um, immunity agreements are supposed to be signed off on by judges. And that's they're right. Supposed to be written out. 
And the judge was grilling Castor on that. He's like, Bruce, you know this. Yeah. He's a former prosecutor. Himself. Right, of course he is. It's yeah. an immunity agreement. It's got to be in writing, and it's got to be signed off on by a judge. Yeah. That's when Castor went off and his, I am the sovereign, I am the sovereign of Montgomery County. I didn't right. have to. And the sad thing is, is this, these, this, that is a protection that's there to make sure that people like Bill, rich, wealthy, powerful people like Bill Cosby don't get preferential treatment. Yeah, that's right. Because if this is an immunity agreement, that's usually an exchange for something. What did he give them? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Castor, oh, that's why he cooperated with the deposition. Well, no, that's not, he was not cooperative. He they had to stop the deposition twice because he would not answer questions. He stormed out of the deposition at one point. They had to file a motion to compel to get him to come back in and answer questions. Um, yeah, so that's right. Yeah. That's what's so shocking about this. And why on earth would you make such a deal with it? Because he's Bill Cosby. But, you know, Bruce Castor made it clear almost from the get-go of this case in 2005, that he didn't intend to prosecute Bill Cosby. His own detectives that, that morning had just drawn up a, a list of interviews they were going to do um, the morning Castor wrote this press release and released right. it. They were blindsided by it. They had yeah, no they were. I remember. That, yeah. Yeah. So they had no clue this, this was happening. Yeah. Um, it just reeks. This whole decision just reeks. And I can't believe the state Supreme Court bought this. There's no legal basis. There's absolutely zero proof that Bill Cosby uh, had this belief that he was immune from prosecution. Zero. Yeah. He hasn't talked about it to even verify it. The attorney who represented him at the time is dead. And it's only Castor saying this. And right. Castor's not credible. Um, when the court ruled against him on this issue in 2016, that was the ruling that he, right. they did not find him credible. I think that's the, that's the most interesting part about this, which was there was a prior ruling that dismissed this concept. And then after post-conviction, it's come back and now it's been deemed to be um, uh, enough to overturn the conviction. It's going to be very interesting to see how legal analysts and others uh, interpret this. But it, it was very interesting, and in, in just in talking to prosecutors, and they're, they're like, "Geez, if you make an offhand comment, does that become an immunity deal now?" I mean, th that's how uh, striking this ruling has hit. You know, career prosecutors that that do this work every day. Um, really remarkable. I want to go thirty thousand feet up now and ask you, what does this do to the Me Too movement? And has the Me Too movement lost some momentum because there seems to be selective cases, right? Sometimes the Me Too movement's very outraged and sometimes they're excusing behavior that's almost identical. Do you feel uh, like this sets back the Me Too movement or are there other forces at work in the Me Too movement now that that have complicated its, its uh, uh, course? I think the Me Too movement suffered um, a huge credibility gap when they threw uh, the Joe Biden accuser Tara Reid under the bus last year and wouldn't yeah. support her. What happened to Believe All Women? Um, right. They did not support her. They, they threw her under the bus. Um, the media went after her with all they had. I was reading the coverage, and I was shocked because back in 2005, um, I, the same thing was happening to Andrea Constand. That's right. Being leaked about her and Tara yeah. Green. So I actually went to sexual assault experts and said, okay, does this matter? Does it matter if, if you say someone accused you of rape if you, like, bounced a check 15 years ago? And they right. were like, no. The rape is the rape. It has nothing whatsoever to do with it. Um, that's why rape shield laws were, were created. Uh, and defense attorneys now know they can't say these things in court, so they just go to the media with yeah, it. Yeah, they leak it anonymously, it. usually. Yeah. Right. So, and I noticed even the New York Times story about Tara Reid. Uh, they quoted a sexual assault expert, but they never asked that question. Or if they did, they didn't use it. Yeah. Um, does this matter? Does, this, does anything that happened to her after this happened, what does that have to do with what she said happened to her? And the experts back then were telling me, too, you know, prostitutes can be raped. So, yeah. no. 
Um, it's the only violent crime where you have to prove you're a perfect person in order yeah. to be believed. But the ironic part is um, Andrea was that person. Like she was 31 when this case broke in 2005. No skeletons in her closet. She was one of the top high school basketball players in Canada. She got recruited by 50 to 60 American colleges, chose the University of Arizona, wanted to play for the WNBA, played in Europe for a while. And then when that didn't happen, um, got offered this job at Temple as uh, director of operations for the women's basketball team. So because they had no, no dirt on her, the Cosby team made up lies about her and the media ran with it. So really, it takes an extraordinary amount of courage to come forward with allegations against someone like Bill Cosby, yeah. um, because they will do everything they can to tear you apart and bring you down. Oh, yeah. And the media, as we've seen on so many cases, the media picks sides. And that's uh, one of the dangers that it really scares me about our profession is that uh, they'll pick one side or the other and they dig down whether the facts support it or not. And that really harms the public interest when that when that happens. I saw this in the Dominic Strascon case and with the um, hotel uh, housekeeper, uh, Nafi Diallo, and the, the vicious attacks uh, that went against her in the news media. And you know, later, you go through the evidence, and you're, we were able to disprove almost all of those anonymously sourced stories at the time. But it took her many years in the civil courts to get uh, justice because the criminal court abandoned her. And it's, uh, it's really remarkable to see the power of anonymous stories in attacking sexual assault victims. It's mm-hmm. very mind-boggling. Where do you think, what, what's next? I mean, obviously this case is moot. It's not going anywhere. Uh, where, do, where do people who are concerned about sexual assault, about uh, the, the ability to come forward and be treated without having your name dragged through the mud, what are some of the lessons or, or needs that this country has to get the, right on this issue? Well, I would say, you know, short term, I mean, there is a possibility, a slim possibility they could appeal this decision. I right. think they're looking at every aspect. Yeah. It would have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it would right. have to be an issue they want, they'd want to hear. Right. But um, I think short term, I mean, a bunch, a bunch of the Cosby survivors got statute limitations, laws right. um, of our sexual assault extended or eliminated in three states. There's that venue to, to try. Um you know, I it, it's a tough one because there, there's so much awareness that needs to be raised. I mean, one of the one of the best things for the second trial, um, the the DA did an unusual thing. He had the sexual assault expert testify first, um, which did not happen at the first trial, and it was a different sexual assault expert. And she sat there and she dispelled rape myth after rape myth after rape myth. Yeah. You know, 85 percent of uh, rape victims, most rape victims, never go to the police, and when That's they right. do, they're still aborting. 85 percent know they're. Uh, know their rapist. Um, many keep in contact afterward. Many don't fight back. And I think the fact that they educated the jury first on sexual assault made a big difference. And that's what, you know, helped them set the stage for then the five women testifying right. and Andrea. So I think that as journalists, that's something we should be doing is educating people about sexual assault. But it is just it's a there's just this visceral distrust of sexual assault claims in this country yeah. and um it is just a disgrace and drug facilitated sexual assaults are even more diabolical oh absolutely because they're premeditated rape yeah i mean they take away a victim's ability to move right. to speak to defend themselves and it wipes out most of their memory many times right and by the time they wake up if they want to go to the hospital and get tested all it's, you know, the drugs likely out of their system. Many of these go through their system quickly. And then the, the rapist could argue, oh, they took it consensually. Mm. And if it just so happens, if your rapist is someone like Bill Cosby, who's going to believe you? Are they going to believe you or are they going to believe him? Yeah, that is the, that is the enormous challenge of, of future sexual assault cases. It seems like this is a pause moment for us to 
do more education and to uh, to create you know a system where I don't know how you do it because I think power and privilege clearly we see it in every level of of the court system. There there seems to be two uh, justice systems. I've talked about this a lot, and um, there's one for the wealthy, the connected, the powerful, and the privileged, and there's one for everybody else. And um, you just see a very different system uh, for those who are accused and are in power. I mean, maybe Harvey Weinstein is one of the few exceptions, but. Um, Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I would say, too, in Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court, their uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices are elected. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. that's something to look at. Are these the people you want making these decisions right. um, when they do things like this? And their behavior was so unprofessional uh, at oral arguments. So that's that's an avenue to look at, too, um, because there, there's just uh, that that's where people c- can become activists, too. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, you know, I hope I hope that somebody starts digging into the Supreme Court and what happened here, because I truly think... You think there's some a bigger story here, huh? Yeah. I do. Something. Some... I mean, Andrew Wyatt just knew what, was way too confident, and, hmm. you know, Interesting. he's now out saying that he's going to, because he's now going to be doing a tour, he's got a book coming out, right. a documentary coming out, and yeah. I was actually, you know, after the mistrial in 2017, um, Wyatt said that Cosby was going to go do this sexual assault tour and tour the country, and you know, make sure guys knew how not to get jammed up in these situations. And then there was this outcry, so they canceled it. And I was right. joking, half joking with someone yesterday. I'm like, watch, he's going to do a tour now. And sure enough, you know, he's doing a tour. He's got a book and a documentary. And another page out of that book is um, after he, Cosby was, the DA decided not to charge Cosby in 2005. His first public appearance after that, he made a joke about drugging a woman's drink. Wow. And then in January 2015, his first appearance, one of his first appearances after this case exploded again, he made a joke about drugging a woman's drink um, at the appearance. So oh. I wouldn't watch for that. Watch for that in the first few appearances yeah. he does. And if, in fact, he does this, he's yeah, going he's, to make a joke about it. It'll be very interesting. It's really funny. Drugging women. Yeah, there's nothing funny about him. that. Nope. Right. Any of us who have a daughter, a wife, a sister, we know it's not funny. And uh, it's not not. That shouldn't be tolerated. There's no doubt about it. Last question for you, because when we were talking off air, we were talking a little bit about the state of the media and how the media swung on this case. Um, the uh, and you talk about the, the the this is a real phenomenon in Hollywood of trading up on stories. How how big a culpability does the American news media have in this story? Well, you know, and I write about that in the book because it, it, I you know Hollywood knew he was doing this. Right. For years. But um, the media, in fact, in, in 2014, a bunch of the media actually did mea copas, you know, starting with David Carr at the New York Times. Right. Yeah. Um, and Tan- I can never say his name, Tennessee Coates. OK, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. They and I because they had written stories and they had not included these allegations. And right. then Mark Whitaker, who wrote the bio that had just come out, was finally forced to admit he should have included the sexual assault allegations. Even Ronan Farrow, who was with NBC at yeah. the time wrote a mea culpa a few months later and said he, he was told not to ask Cosby about the sexual assaults or Whitaker. Yeah. And he didn't until the very end and said he was ashamed of that interview. So the sad part about this is if the media hadn't completely backed off this in 2005, but, you know, Castor might have been forced to actually complete this investigation. There were 14 women accusing Cosby back then. Wow. The media does have the power to, to push this forward. Um, and they didn't. And the sad thing is there might have been one of those other cases might have been still within the statute of limitations back then. By the time this, this exploded again in 2014, the only known case that was within the statute of limitations was Andrea's. Right. Um, and I do believe there are more victims. I know there are more victims out there. There are 60 known ones. I think the actual victim counts in the hundreds. 
and perhaps there's a victim out there who's so outraged by the way Cosby was just freed like that, that they'll come forward come and, yeah. um, and there'll be a new case. But there's still one last civil lawsuit. All the women he, who sued him for defamation, they won. They settled out of court with his insurance company right. after the conviction. But Gloria Allred still has one case that can now move forward. That's a civil case with one of his victims. Fascinating. We'll have to keep an eye and see where that where that ends. Well, Nicole, you've done enormous work and you've really owned this story for a long time. When other media would come in and out, you never left it. And uh, um, how can uh, your book is still available, right? Chasing Cosby. You can still get copies of it. How do people find you, yeah. follow you and get a copy of your book? Yeah, well, I have a website. They can go to my website, but um, it's available wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Right. Um, and it's still available there. And there's also a podcast based on the book if you want to hear directly from the, the survivors, the victims themselves. It's very powerful listening to them tell their stories. And uh, so many women were just completely destroyed by what he did to them. Some were able to go on and have good, productive yeah, lives. Others right. were not. Um, his first known victim was a 17-year-old virgin named Sunny Wells. And this was back in 1965. He knew She knew him through her mom, who was an agent in Hollywood. And she she... It's not able. She's never been able to trust anyone enough to have a healthy, long-term relationship. She talks wow. about sleeping with their arms crossed across her chest and her groin um, just to keep herself safe. Hmm. Um, so many, many of the women have dealt with the horrible after effects of, of being drugged and sexually assaulted by him. So I also encourage people, if they want to hear from the women directly and hear them at length, because we let them tell their stories at length. They're in the book, too. Um <sighs> But yeah, and the book actually gets into many more of the big picture issues than the podcast does. Yeah. Because we had many, many enablers through the years. There were modeling agencies sending him teenage girls every week while he was filming the Cosby show in, um, in Queens uh, during the late 80s and early 90s. Wow, I there, were know agen- there was a modeling agency in Colorado that was feeding him victims. Wow. Um, Hollywood enabled him and covered up for him. So did, so did the media and law enforcement, too. So he, he had a host of enablers that allowed him to get away with this for many years. It is um, it is remarkable. I, I will say one thing. I grew up in a family of cops, and, and uh, the detectives and cops who work in the special victims unit, they do extraordinary work, and it is tough work. I mean, I, I can't imagine having to write some of the things you wrote because you really— dug into the impact of, of uh, on the lives of these women. But those cops that work every day in the special victims units in the, in the rape crime investigation units uh, are really remarkable people. And they deal with really difficult uh, leftover carnage because it, the, the lifelong consequences of violent sexual assaults are, are, you know, really devastating. And most people just turn their eye away from, we can't look at it, right? It's just too hard for us to process. But these folks every day stare into the eyes of victims and get try to get the truth and try to get justice. And it's pretty remarkable to watch um, some of those amazing law enforcement officials in action. I don't know if you've come across them. I'm sure you have in the course of your work, but um, a lot of, a lot of courageous people on that front lines of, uh, of fighting this crime. Right. Kevin Steele, the DA who, who, you know, prosecuted Cosby's one of them. Um, I weave a lot of uh, that research into my book yeah. because I really wanted people to understand, you know, that, that there is, a, a trauma attached to this that oh, yes. doesn't go away for some for some victims. For oh. others, it does, but yeah. it changes you forever. I do know that. And yeah. uh, when you're publicly vilified, like has happened to so many of these women, it leaves more scars. I know sure. some are just really sad and struggling and trying to understand. You feel double victimized. 
Right. Now, Tamar yeah. Green, who was the second accuser to come forward in 2005, she's also an attorney, so she's a little more pragmatic about it. Yep. And she's like, three years, he served three years. you got to remember at his age, you know, how much time does he have left? That's a good chunk of his life, and yeah. it doesn't change you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. still, the, the way he got out is just outrageous. Uh, it's going to be something we'll be talking about for a long time, I suspect. And um, uh, again, uh, Nicole, for all of your great work, the, the really detailed factual reporting, um, yeah, you know, some people just get on a podium and talk about things. You did the work to go and get the facts and, and, and the details. And uh, it's a remarkable piece of journalism when you read Chasing Cosby. And I want to thank you for that and also for the time today. It's uh, great to have you on the show. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, you have a good rest of the day. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to wrap things up in a few minutes, but first a quick commercial break. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, folks, that wraps it up. Are you ready for a holiday weekend? Yeah, guess what? You still got one more day. I got one more day. I got one more podcast for you. That's going to come up tomorrow. So uh, thank you for listening. Two great guests today. I really felt like we learned a lot from Nicole Egan and from Congressman Andy Biggs. And on a busy news day, we couldn't have had a better congressman on than one from the state of Arizona when one of the iconic cases of this Supreme Court session came down, the Arizona voting uh, case. All right, we're going to wrap it up today. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, a new edition of John Solomon Reports. And uh, until then, I have an idea. If you've got kids or if you've got grandkids, there is a great new teammate here at Just the News, uh, at John Solomon Reports. Uh, they're doing amazing things by creating craft kits that you can do with your children, with yourself. They're great for seniors. They're great for kids. They're great pe for people of all ages. And they deliver it to your door. That's pretty cool, right? And you have an opportunity to make something that you can donate to a cause, like a quilt. This is amazing things. And so I want to introduce you for the first time to Annie's Kit Clubs. They're a new sponsor we love them. I just got some kits over the weekend. I'm, I'm going to do one with my son, who's a special needs adult, but loves to put things together. And so we got a really cool uh, kit that we're putting together, a wood kit. We're going to make some stuff this weekend. We're going to get it out and get the tools out and have some father-son time. What a cool idea there. What's great about Annie's Kits Clubs, they provide all the materials. So you start crafting immediately. You can choose from a variety of Annie's Kit of the Month clubs, including Knit striped afghan, card maker, simple beads, and more. And the kids are designed for every level of a crafter with online tutorials. That's kind of cool, right? You walk you through it, uh, get you ready. Uh, the kid in your life will love Annie's Creative Girls Club or the Young Workers Kit Club. That's what Josh and I are going to be working on this weekend. They provide quality interactive summertime projects. The, uh, the ones for kids are perfect for the ages of 7 to 12. So there's over 60,000 five-star reviews of Annie's. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a gold star winner right there. Uh, and uh, one member I, I read, was looking through these the other day said, I've been a member of Annie's Kit Clubs for quite a while now and absolutely love my kits and video instruction. Highly recommend anyone wanting to learn a fun, relaxing craft or spend time with 
your kid. That's what I'm going to be doing. As a special offer right now, you're going to get your first kit for 75% off just because you're a Just the News subscriber. So go to Annie's Kits Clubs today, anniekitclubs.com slash Just News. Let me give that one more time. Annie's kitclubs.com slash just news to get that incredible offer 75% off you'll have it in at your door in a couple of days it's an amazing opportunity for kids grandkids starters professionals uh crafting of all sorts and you have an opportunity to donate some of the things you make to people in need what a great opportunity to get family quality time and be able to give a gift to someone you love all right folks that wraps it up one more day to the 4th of July holiday weekend. I can't wait to celebrate our 245th birthday in America coming up soon. Until then, have a great night. God bless you and God bless this extraordinary country, the United States of America, as he always has. Good night.